You're listening to the Golden West Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I explore the best in food and wine on the West Coast, including California, Oregon, and Washington. We're about to go on a journey, exploring the people and stories behind the vineyards, farms, and kitchens. So grab a drink, fire up your grill, pull up a seat to the table, and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by the hardcore wine dudes at First Bottle Wines. First Bottle is the sister site to the wildly popular one wine per day website, Last Bottle Wines. First Bottle is based in Napa, California, and the team is well connected to hundreds of wineries, brokers, distributors, and importers all over the world, and they have spent decades building trust with them. Offering quality wines at unbeatable prices is their top priority. You'll see lots of big names on First Bottle. They've got older vintages, collectibles, and approachable daily drinkers from every major wine region. They taste over 50,000 wines a year and know how to pick a winner. So visit firstbottlewines.com and use promo code GOLDENWEST at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. That's promo code GOLDENWEST at firstbottlewines.com. Today's show is brought to you by Kova Coffee. Kova is a specialty roaster out of Portland, Oregon, and they're known for single-origin coffees, and they're committed to long-term, sustainable partnerships with coffee producers. Now, if you're like me, I love coffee. I always start my day off with a cup or two. I make it by hand with a pour-over, but it doesn't matter how you make yours. You can use a pour-over, maybe use a Chemex, maybe you just use a basic Mr. Coffee machine. It doesn't matter, but what does matter is the beans. You don't want those burnt, over-roasted corporate coffee beans that you find in the grocery store, and I don't even bother with that store brand stuff. So here's what you do. I'm going to make it really easy for you. Just go to kovacoffee.com, that's C-O-A-V-A, coffee.com, and use our promo code, Golden West. You'll get $5 off your first purchase. Do it now while you're thinking about it, and your coffee will show up at your doorstep as soon as you know it. Today on the show, we have Samra Morris the winemaker at Almorosa Winery. Enjoy my conversation with Samra. Samra, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for hosting me. Yeah, this is great having you here. So there's so much to get into. I've known about Almorosa for a while now. I'm located in Los Angeles, so I'm not that far from Santa Barbara. So we can get into the region and, and what attracted you to there. Um, but before that, there's so much to get into here with your background and how you got into wine. Um, and why don't we why don't we start there? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I am uh, from Bosnia, Sarajevo, and uh, I studied uh, food sciences back at home, and uh, got my bachelor's. Uh, and uh, during bachelor studies, I wanted to be a brewmaster, and I was interested in it, and then. At the end of my bachelor studies, I didn't like beer anymore. <laughs> so I decided to, during my master's, I was trying to figure out uh, what else I want to do. And then I started working more with the professor of enology and fall in love with the winemaking. And I know somehow, I don't know how, I want to be a one-day winemaker. So, wow, yeah. Yeah, and to today... It's just, uh, I don't know, it's, I had some always luck that always kind of guided me through all of my experience since I decided to want to be a winemaker because during my studies, I met my husband who is a 
from California and he was US uh, Air Force. And after studies, we got married and luckily he was stationed uh, in Travis Air Force Base, which is 30 minutes away from Napa. So I was able to start uh, my winemaking experience in one of the best regions in the world. <laughs> wow, what an amazing coincidence. So yes. your husband is stationed in Napa. So that, that, that was kind of my next question is, you know, you were working doing, uh, was it fermentation science or food studies in, in university? So it is the food sciences, okay. which includes uh, brewing, winemaking, uh, distilled alcohols and other Okay, so a little bit of everything, yeah. So, yes. so how did you make that next step of when you realized, okay, you were really into enology and you decided, okay, I think that the winemaking path is where I want to go. Obviously, you had the serendipity of, of ending up in Napa, but what was the next yeah. step? Did you say, okay, I want to I want to do a harvest? Was it I want to just start opening up a lot of different bottles of wine and tasting different things? Or where, where, where did your path lead next? I think, yeah, it's like when I moved to States, it was like a total change. You know, it's a sh culture shock. You're in different country, different language. So uh, at first, you know, I was trying to figure it out, just life here. <laughs> and then, uh, like, uh, I was like, okay, I went with my husband, visited Napa. And I was like, okay, I don't know anybody. I don't know where to start. So I decided to apply for the tasting room associates. Just to st start somewhere and uh, see... Um, just to learn about Napa and then uh, Deborah Eagle, who is the manager, who is the general manager of Palma Rosa, was the first one who gave me a job in United States in, at Heston Vineyards in a tasting room. And uh, that's how I start learning a lot about Napa. And uh, at that moment, I was like, OK, I'm going to do harvest and vineyard internship. So I did a vineyard internship with St. Superi. And then uh, Heston, while I was working at Heston, Thomas Rivers Brown is the winemaker. And uh, that's how I met Thomas and uh, asked him to do the harvest. And he gave me opportunity. Wow. And is that the <laughs> Heston tasting room that's in Yountville? I've actually seen it there. I'm not sure if that's a newer one or if they have an older one that you worked at. Yeah, that's the newer one in downtown Yountville. It's a okay. beautiful building. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and so what was your first harvest like at St. Suppery? Was it something where you just dove right in and you were loving everything? Or were you thinking like, wow, this is just a lot of cleaning and <laughs> that that type of thing, like hard work? Or what, what was your initial thought? So my St. Suppery was in the vineyard. and oh, my in the harvest, vineyard, got it. Yes, okay. and the harvest was with Thomas at the Mending Wall. And uh, yeah, it's like I kind of, you know, but... With the st studying winemaking and I kind of understood like what's going to happen. But once when you come to winery and it's like, oh, okay, there's a lot of this. There's a lot. There's so many do different things that they don't teach you in a book always. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you're getting that real hands-on experience, what was the difference? Where were you more attracted to the vineyard or working in the cellar? Um, or was it a mix of both? I think uh, a little bit mix of both, but uh, vineyard was fun. It's beautiful. You're working outside all the time, enjoying sunshine, looking your wines growing, learning about them. Uh, but I think cellar, I'm a very energetic person, and I love the energy during harvest. 
Like there's so much things going on. There's a million things to do. You're learning. So yeah, I love harvest and seller. Yeah, I saw in an interview where you were talking about something being about the queen of pump overs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where they, you know, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about, you know, or we can get into punch downs and pour overs and things when we talk about a little bit of um, some of the winemaking process here in a minute. But, um, you know, your your first experience there working with Thomas and you know, he's known for having certain protocols and, and procedures and, you know, every winemaker is different, but what were yes. a few of the takeaways that you kind of, you know, realized after going through that process with him and his team? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, they gave me that name because uh, when I first started with them, they're teaching you, of course, every aspect of the starting with the crushing and, you know, we're working on crush pad. And then uh, when I start working all of my co-workers were like oh nobody likes pump overs and I was like oh I can't wait to see what is that and I just loved it because at that moment I learned the most about the wine I actually see how fermentation goes and I love the tasting and seeing all the aspects so yeah that's how I got my label (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and so for people who don't know it's you know you're literally you have this this huge tank and sometimes (laughs) you're walking up this this big staircase or however it's set up and you know you're attaching these hoses and all these equipment and everything has to be cleaned and washed and everything but you're literally it's kind of like almost like a fire hose right where you're where you're spraying wine on top of the uh, kind of on the top of the tank and coating the top um, and then the, the, the punch downs are when you're actually using this, this big tool, kind of almost like a potato masher, but it's like this <laughs> big, big, you know, times 10. Is that a good way to describe yes. it? And you're, you're actually pushing the grapes down. Um, and so, and so why do winemakers go through those two pieces? I mean, I mean, those two aspects of winemaking. Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question, but yeah, I mean, it's so like, I, for, basically, you're why 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 are they going through that that exercise of pushing the grapes down or, or actually pouring uh, wine on top of the cap? I mean, this can get pretty technical, but just the basic explanation. <laughs> yeah, so it we, we pump over just to you want to always aerate your fermentation once when it starts, so your yeast can be happy and get some air and start uh, eating sugar and transferring it into alcohol and uh, CO2. And then, uh, yeah, so that's the most important uh, reason why we do pump overs, because you want the juice that it's settling there, go over pump of your grapes as well for the extraction. Yeah, yeah. And and not to get too deep down the kind of geeky winemaking (laughs) (laughs) procedures and things but just so people can kind of get an idea um and and we'll go into some of this stuff here in a few minutes but you know not to get get too off track here so you you talked about coming over from from bosnia and being in a new country and and i can imagine just how much of a shock that must have been and i know a few people who actually came over from bosnia a couple relatives of mine and um, and they told me about how they came here, you know, to America and in similar experience where it's just this culture shock and they were just kind of finding out 
how to live here, get an apartment, get a car, and, and just to mm-hmm. some kind some of the basic kind type of things and meet a few new friends and get their first job. So, um, you know, you had kind of this extra hurdle to get over uh, that a lot of people don't, which I think what makes your story also extra unique and and, and even more special. So, you know, you're here in Napa, your husband is is stationed there um, Mm -hmm. nearby, which which is great. And, And you talked about the first few jobs. What was your your next step and kind of leading into Almarosa here, which we'll get to in a minute? And had had you been to Santa Barbara, um, you know, at the time, or were you going to other regions like Paso Robles to explore? I did explore a little bit. I come, you know, with the wine and with non-wine. I loved exploring California. It's such a beautiful state, and there's so many different things to do. So yeah, I loved every. Every now and then, my husband and I would sit in a car and go explore Paso, go explore Santa Barbara County, go uh, northern from Napa. So, yeah, it's been fun to uh, see different uh, sides of California, and every part is so unique. Yeah, and so you mentioned your first job was actually given to you by a woman who worked at St. Suppery, but now she actually, she actually works at Almarosa. Is that right? No, she, she was at Heston. Oh, sorry. Heston. Okay. (laughs) Heston. So, yes, she was, uh, yeah. So she was the also a state director for the Heston and she gave me first job when I moved to States and now she is general manager of Almarosa. Okay, right. So let's transition into Almarosa. We're going to get into the region and the history of the winery. But first, how did you actually, you know, end up there? What's kind of the the long and the short story there? Uh, So short story to it, it's like I did tree harvest at the mending wall and then start doing other jobs and just keep growing and uh, accepting different positions just to kind of complete my whole uh, whole package uh, that comes as of being future winemaker and uh, Deborah always followed me everywhere I go she always talked to me like we were always in touch she she just always wanted to be curious what I'm doing where I'm going how much I'm growing so when she moved to Santa Barbara this opportunity comes and she invited me I come and visit and uh, decided to move uh, to this area in Santa Rita Hills Wow, and what and when was that? So I moved here in 2019, July. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you and so, what was the first vintage that you actually bottled up? It was 2019. Was the 19? Okay. Yes. Wow. So so this opportunity came up. You know, I was reading also. I think it was the Forbes article how you just kind of fell in love with Santa Barbara. You know, we've I've had a handful of other winemakers from Santa Barbara on the show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Melville, uh, the Hilt, um, mm-hmm. you know, Gavin Shannon. I'm trying to think. There, there's been kind of a handful, um, and so maybe we can talk a little bit about just the region and. 
you know, the history there of, of the winery I was reading, it was the first winery in Santa Barbara to become certified organic. I think it was planted in 1983, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. It's um, 1984 that we planted. Okay, yeah. So, you know, there's just a really long, rich history there and, and with Richard Sanford as well. So maybe we can just tackle the region first briefly and then go into the specifics of the land that, that you're on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, so when I moved, yeah, I was fascinated. I mean, I think uh, Santa Rita Hills is very unique region. And I hope in the future we're going to be more and more famous with, within the people. It's very small region and I, yeah, I fall in love with it. Uh, it makes uh, exceptional wines. And uh, we are making mostly Chardonnays and Pinots. We do also have a little bit of Syrah Grenache as well. And uh, yeah, I took over from Almarosa. It, it, it is exciting in one moment to take, take over uh, Richard Sanford because Richard Sanford is the one who uh, started Almarosa. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big obligation to take over, but it was very exciting as well. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So, um, you know, Richard Sanford has such a, a, a long and rich history in Santa Barbara and producing Pinot. Um, let's get into the actual estate and, and the vineyard and, and some of the things, you know, about, you know, you can talk about soils or clones or there's there's so many things to <laughs> different variations on this one. But, um, you know, wh whichever way you, you want to go with it. Yeah, so we can start with our estate. Uh, so we are going into the direction to be 100% estate grown region, uh, grown 100% uh, estate grown. Mm -hmm. So uh, our owners, Bob and Barb Zorich, purchased the property from Richard in 2014. Uh, it's over 600 acres that we have on our estate. And when they purchased it, they planted uh, another 38, uh, they planted 38 acres of new wines. And uh, 2019 was the first harvest uh, from our new wines that uh, I did. And uh, we also purchasing from another few different vineyards, which is the Bentrock and Lion Cantata. Lion Cantata is very dear to us because Richard Stanford also planted Lion Cantata and it is beautiful vineyard as well to work with. So I work with a few different uh, soils. Most of our uh, estate on our estate, mostly it's the clay loam. And then we have a little bit of sandy soils. The interesting part about our estate is we have a five different uh, parts of our estate that is planted with vineyards. So we get a little bit different altitudes as well. So together with these uh, diff different soils, and I have a different uh, altitudes and different exposures to the wind as well in Santa, Bar in Santa Barbara County, which is why we are so special. And uh, we also have different clones, especially for Pinot Noir. We have five different clones on our estate that I work with. So that whole package gave me uh, opportunity to play in the cellar and make uh, Santa Rita Hills and also our estate vineyard from uh, our estate. Yeah, and let's talk a little about how you think about vineyard management and how involved you are there. 
you, mm-hmm. we mentioned the certified organic piece, um, but w- what are some of your thoughts and, and how you think about best practices overall? Yeah, uh, I am uh, very fortunate. Uh, I work with uh, our uh, viticulturist, Mike Anderson. He started also uh, being our viticulturist when I took over in 2019, and he is a uh, retired UC Davis professor. So it's definitely uh, interesting. And uh, I learned so much from him. And uh, we are like moving forward to try to take care of our vineyard and have the best practices that are sustainable, um, especially with everything that's happening in the last few years with the all the challenges that we're seeing now with uh, climate change and how real it's happening. Yeah, no, that, that's that's definitely true. Let's talk a little on practices in the cellar and those types of things. And we're going to get into mm-hmm. the wines here. We have um, a Pinot Noir and a Rosé. We'll also touch a little bit about on um, uh, Chardonnay too. Which, mm-hmm. which you mentioned, um, and, and maybe just a little piece on the Syrah. As you mentioned, you have a little bit of that as well. But, you know, when I think about practices in the cellar um, and, and, and then transitioning from it, you know, vineyard to cellar, I always ask about picking decision as being kind of the one of the most important pieces too. So picking decision first, how do you, uh, how do you think about that and what kind of goes into your decision and what's involved there? Yeah, so definitely, I believe it's the most important uh, moment of my whole harvest is that the picking date. Uh, so right before harvest, uh, together with my consulting winemaker, Tony, and together with uh, viticulturist Mike, I walk through the vineyards a lot. I taste everything and seeing and trying to figure it out uh, uh, which lots I'm going to de- dedicate for our rosé that you're going to taste today and which lots is going to be for my estate Pino, which for Santa Rita. And then, uh, yeah, I look at, uh, I I believe, of course, I look at the chemistry. It's very important that I analyze, I see where the bricks, where's my acidity. uh, And, uh, but for me, it's the most important, like uh, when I taste it. And that's kind of crucial moment where I make a decision when to pick. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I've talked to some other winemakers in the past where they talk about uh, kind of tasting and, and looking for seeds in the grapes and having like a certain taste where it, it do, it's not going to taste the way a lot of people think that exactly. it would. So is it, maybe you could just <laughs> describe that for people listening who haven't actually tried a, a wine grape off the bar. Yeah, I, I would. I hope I I can't describe it, but I don't know. I think it's just that's what makes us winemakers uh, special, I guess, because we, we, you know, I always tell my husband and I was like, yeah, this is wine. He would look at me like, what? I don't get it. I was like, well, I guess that's why I'm a winemaker. But uh, Mm -hmm. it's just you look at your seeds, you know, you don't want the green seeds. You want them to be good to go. And you look at your skin and look at the juice and uh, it's your visual what you see in the grapes and then when you taste them it's like for me it's like okay this this is the particular taste i look and i think this is good to go yeah yeah that i think that, that makes a lot of sense since it's a process that 
you know, there's a lot of things that go into it, as you mentioned, but it, it's one of those things where if you're a few days, you know, a week even, or just a few days off, it can make a really big difference. Are you Huge targeting difference. a certain amount of bricks or, or uh, do you use any type of tools or is it just kind of going on taste? So, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm targeting mm-hmm. a certain type of bricks for Every, all the different bricks are, of course, for Rosé is different bricks, then it's for mm-hmm. my Pinot and for my Chardonnay. Yes, of course, you always have in your mind targeted bricks together with your taste. But sometimes my bricks can be there, but the taste is not there. So it's this uh, balance where I have to figure it out, okay, this is exactly where I want to pick when those two things match. Acidity, uh, bricks, color in Pinot, and my taste. Yeah, that's that's really true. One thing that you learn going through harvest uh, or something that I kind of picked up was no, mm-hmm. nothing is ever going to be completely perfect. Like it's not an exercise exactly. where like you said, okay, you, the bricks are there, the taste is there right at the same time. And, and you have these logistical issues like, well, can we exactly. get a, a crew out there to pick when it's, it's such a busy time and crews are not really... Uh, in demand, I mean, they're in really high demand, and then you have the issue about weather. So exactly, you know, that's the one I storm, wanted to mention. <laughs> yeah, so if you're going to have a storm coming in, right, then maybe you pick pick a day earlier. Exactly, there's all these different things, and then weather comes into play, especially in the past. Totally. You know, a few years, and we've had the heat spikes in 2017, yes. and and then last year was, you know. Uh, hit and miss depending on the wines. I mean, there, there's some wines that turned out great and even in 2017, but um, you had these just issues of, of weather in California. Of course, everyone knows the, the issues with fire um, yes. that we dealt with. So, you know, there, there's a, these, these things can get really complex. And, complex. And that's, <laughs> and that's one thing that you learn of actually kind of doing hands-on for someone doing their first harvest or, or doing something uh, in wine for the first time, whether they're um, doing on the supply chain or, or anything involved in the process. So um, I think that that gives people a little bit of insight. Let's transition into the cellar. So the, the mm-hmm. one thing I always wonder about is how do you think about your use of oak? Um, you know, there's other policies and procedures and things, but how do you um, how do you think about additives in oak and oak and these types of things? Yeah, so uh, I when it comes to additives, I, I truly believe that, uh, and I think uh, together with our viticulturist Mike, we try to grow most healthy grapes. When we have good healthy grapes, uh, when we bring them in cellar. I don't, I don't want to manipulate them a lot. So it's very low on additives. I add the nutritions and the yeasts. Our Chardonnay is uh, also natural yeast. So uh, that, that's, that given, I just add the nutrition. Uh, and then when it comes to oak, uh, I love to represent the terroir of each of our vineyards. My first harvest when I worked in Santa Rita Hills, I fall in love with all the vineyards I work. I found how unique they are, even if they are within two miles apart. The interesting part with Santa Rita Hills, with the one mile climate change is one degree. So working with these little unique vineyards with little microclimates gives me just opportunity to be amazed with this region. And, you know, I found the uniqueness. So I am not, I'm using like around like 30% on average uh, of new French oak 
And uh, by the lot, when I decide, you know, everything happens in cellar during harvest, everything is fermenting, and I make mis- decisions. Uh, every year is so unique, so different. When I taste the wine, how much oak resume I want to do on that particular lot. Yeah, I think um, I think that gives people a little bit of insight into how you think about things in your process. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think about oak being an additive where it can be complementary, of course, and, and enhance the wine, or it can be overpowering and always finding that right balance. Exactly. Um, you know, make, I think is, is what winemakers usually strive for. And you talked about growing the best grapes, and so you don't have to have a lot of extra additives and things. Um, no, of course not. And so I think that's that's also something um, that I, I think it's it's kind of intuitive. Like for me, when I first started learning about wine, I was, you know, you, you read about kind of more natural wines and you read about yeah. certain additives that can be used. And then you kind of come to the realization that, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense when you grow the best fruit or you try yeah. to use the best practices or whether it's organic or or, or other types of things, then you're going to have a, a, a good quality grape that's probably going to, you know, produce wine. And then you talked about the, um, was it supplements? Sometimes I yeah. people refer to them as vitamins or nutrients. What maybe you could just touch on that briefly, because I think there's a lot of confusion in the in the wine space for people who are new or who don't know a lot about it, and that's something that I learned about as something that you're, you know, can enhance, not enhance the wine, but either stabilize or kind of help it along. Um, that's not really kind of something that's detrimental to the process. Yeah, totally. So I have to say, like, uh, first, when you are a small boutique winery, of course, you are focused, uh, when you're making high-end pinots, everything is going to be, you know, mo- mostly natural. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, fermenting in a one-ton bins, you know, so everything is like detail-oriented Yeah. in, in a winery. And, uh, yeah, so nutrition is, uh, I, I see sometimes, you know, people get scared and still it's like it's just um, yeast needs uh, energy, right, to start eating sugar and uh, to, to transfer it into alcohol. It's like us. We need energy. We need some food. We need some nutrition to work. So I would yeah. say it's, it's the same, like it's a little food that we give to yeast to be happy and uh, do, do its work. So let's start out with the Pinot Noir first, El Hobli. So yes. the 2019, um, I believe this is the first vintage that you actually bottled, is that right? That is correct. So And I, yeah, and that I is saw my... here in the notes that you have, were, have the designation of being the first Bos- female Bosnian winemaker in California. Is that also correct? Totally. I think I'm the first Bosnian and it just happens to be female and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, wow. So it's first Bosnian winemaker and, and what a, an accomplishment and achievement and um, an interesting fact for people as well. So this must have been a really special bottle for you to be able to bottle up, you know, as being a head winemaker, um, you know, your first, your first wine and, and making this amazing Pinot. What, before we get into the wine, what was that experience like for you? Oh, yeah, I think, you know, when I did the harvest as a being, you know, head winemaker and, you know, making my wines, it's, I thought uh, that's the most excited moment for me. But then later on, when I bottled all of my wines, when you actually see them in a bottle and, you know, it's like, oh, this is going now on a table. And, pe- you know, so people share 
and drink my wine was like the most exciting moment in my whole life. I was like overwhelmed, like uh, with happiness, I think just, you know, it's like, oh, my wine is actually in a bottle. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine just the how proud you were and, and the achievement there. And, that, and that's one thing that people, once you start learning more about wine, people start to understand just the amount of labor and intense yes. you know, work that goes into wine. And then just, you know, you have the length of the growing season and all the the things around that. And then, like you said, we went into just the picking decision and, and leading up to uh, to harvest and then you know mm-hmm. after harvest that's really when the, the really hard work starts <laughs> um, yes and then and then you have have this kind of relaxing maybe not relaxing period but kind of downtime after where you're doing other things like doing marketing and coming on with this po- podcast yes. to tell your story and things like that but you, know, you <laughs> yes. finally have this finished product that a lot of people they pop the cork and they just kind of think that um oh yeah i mean like they're enjoying the wine but you don't think about just the the all the things that go into it is, is that something that you you know obviously you're coming on to tell your story but when you talk mm-hmm. to people um is that something they're surprised or maybe they gain a better appreciation for it i believe so i think sometimes as you say people just you know open a bottle and they look oh this is beautiful bottle you know see the and then you know just pour and this is good wine they don't realize it's like how much so that every time when they ask me questions I found it interesting you know or when they come to seller asking me what is this what is this like looking at the pump it's like why are you using this yeah it's always uh, I try to uh, explain to people how much not just myself uh, how much passion people in the vineyard you know every day who goes through the rows and uh, make a de- good decisions. Uh, all the people in my team in the cellar, how much passion and how much hard work and sweat you have to put in this bottle and later on how much with the marketing. And it's so many different levels that uh, when you drink that bottle uh, are put in together and so many hands that bottle goes through. Yeah, and so you, Almarosa has some beautiful tasting experience as well, and a, a wonderful website. So we'll talk yes. about that here at the end of how people can interact and go do a tasting and and see the winery, etc. But before that, let's let's mm-hmm. jump into these wines. So um, the Pinot Noir first. So the El Habli, this is the 2019. Mm-hmm. Talk about this wine and, and some of the specs here. We'll have a link in the show notes so people can kind of follow along and, and see the wine here on the website. But let's let's hear about it from you. Yes, totally. So it's very special wine for me. Not just that it's my first wine in a bottle. It's actually the first harvest from our estate. And it's the first vintage that we are 100% estate-driven uh, uh winery so that the bottle is from our new wines Uh, it includes a few different clones in there and uh, what I love about our estate vineyard is that uh, it has that nice uh, red berries fruits to it but also what I love about it is uh, has nice earth and herbal notes to it as well yeah and this is a this is a beautiful wine and one thing when I'm drinking this wine, I think about is just the different microclimates that you talked about mm-hmm. in Santa Rita Hills. So you can have, 
you know, a lot, I've tasted a lot of different wines from Santa Rita Hills and they really are different in a lot of different ways. They have kind mm-hmm. of that, that seam that runs throughout. Um, but you mentioned the microclimates and that's something I'm always trying to pick up on is, was it something from a little bit of warmer climate or looking at the soil types and the, those types of different things. So I think that's one thing that you're never going to get bored by drinking wine from Santa Rita Hills region because they, there there are, is so much diversity there. No, totally. That's uh, what makes us uh, so interesting region. And yes, uh, so our El Habli vineyard uh, is, I would say, a little bit uh, warmer vineyard than I, than I work with, with the other vineyards. So you can see it's a little bit, has a little bit more complexity. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the other side, it's a very vibrant Pinot. And that's what I try to achieve with our uh, Pinots, uh, to be this uh, vibrant Pinot, nice complexity. On the other side, very elegant. And it's representing uh, our estate vineyard and the soil that uh, this vineyard gave us. Yeah, and I think you did a great job as far as the balance. And, and winemakers talk about balance, and a lot of people talk about that. And I know mm-hmm. it can be subjective, and it's kind of hard to pin down. But the way I think about it is, as you mentioned, integrating kind of the right amount of oak and, and having the pick date and kind of everything come together. But something for me that is balanced with enough acidity and enough, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of uh, fruit forwardness to where I like to pair a lot of, try wines doing a lot of different food pairings and things like that, right? So that's something yeah. I, I always look for is something with enough acidity, but you still have that that dark, rich fruit flavors that you're looking for in a Pinot. And I think you really, really nailed it on this one. Thank you so much. Um, and so when looking at the website here, again, we'll have the link in the show notes, but almarosawinery.com. I can see some of the other uh, vineyard designates that you ha- that you have here, um, some of the older yeah. wines. Are, th- are these vineyard designates going to be phased out to where you're only going to be producing estate wines? Or what's the plan going forward now that you're on board? So I think with the starting 2020 and us having a fully grown vineyard, uh, we are uh, all of our wines, most of our wines is going to come from our estate. Mm-hmm. We will still purchase the wines. Uh, I make Pinot Blanc and Pinot Gris and Pinot Noir from Lion Cantada. When mm-hmm. I work, start working in 2019, I've just fallen in love with that vineyard. And uh, even now we are with the state, we're going to still purchase Lion Cantada as well. And okay. uh, we're also going to purchase from a Bentrock vineyard. Okay. Yeah, so I did notice Bent Rock, um, one of the really esteemed vineyards in the area. Maybe yes. maybe we could just touch on that really briefly, because that's something people are always interested in. I've done a couple other episodes. I'm trying to remember which ones. <laughs> Forgive me for the other guests, but Dragonette, uh, Gavin Shannon, I believe. There are a few mm-hmm. other ones that I did that, that purchased fruit from there as well. Yes, totally. Yeah. I also, yeah, it's all of the vineyards I work with. It's there, as I mentioned before, they're so unique and I just uh, fall in love with them differently. Bentrock is the coolest vineyard I work with. So it gets, it's uh, closer to the ocean, gets a lot of uh, free uh, wind from the ocean. And also, as I mentioned, comparing to our estate vineyard, a few degrees uh, cooler on a daily basis. So yeah, I love about that uh, wine. Uh, it gives you like, an, I would say similar to El Habli. It has that fruit to it. Nice, but it's not like uh, overpoweringly fruity. It's like you have a little bit uh, of a chalkiness to it when I tasted that type of love 
in that uh, particular Pinot Noir. Okay, yeah, and that's something people can look forward to and check out on the website there. As you mentioned, a little bit more of a cooler climate, so you're going to be getting something uh, different from the El Habli. Let's get into the 2020 Grenache Rosé, which is sourced from the El Habli Estate Vineyard. Um, how, why did you go with the Grenache and, and then, you know, we can get into how you made this rosé. I know there's different types of ways that rosés uh, can be made. Yeah. So I make two different rosés. I make mm-hmm. Vingri from our Pinot Noir and I also make Grenache rosé. Uh, both of these uh, pin, uh, rosés, I go to the, as I mentioned before, I go to the vineyard, I taste the lots and I particularly dis- designate the lots just for our rosés. And uh, in a cellar, I do not do bleeding. So this is, uh, I, I choose the blocks on the estate, I bring them to the cellar, whole cluster press it, leave it for 24 hours in a stainless steel tank, and then I rack it to the other tank and uh, start fermenting. Okay, yeah, that gives people a little bit of insight there. And then, you know, for rosé, when a lot of people start learning about rosé, it's, you know, looking at the different types of ways that can be made, and then also just trying the different varietals. So sometimes I'll try, I'll taste different, uh, whether it's a rosé a pinot or a rosé a grenache and or Syrah or these different types of things and just try to pick totally. up different nuances. How, how do you think about the rosé of Grenache as being different from other rosés, let's say a rosé of Pinot or something else? So I would say for both of my rosés, I think uh, they are representing why I fall in love in Santa Barbara the most. Mm-hmm. What I, you, In our soils, we, have, we still have a marine layers that died millions and millions years ago. And when I tasted our rosés, I taste the saltiness. From, and that's showing the mostly influence of the ocean on our region. And uh, the style of my rosés, I try to, as you can see, the light, color is light. So I try to, you know, really extract as less color as I possibly can. And uh, just to keep that the saltiness and freshness of Santa Rita Hills. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. That kind of goes into my next idea or my next point here of talking about the Chardonnays. And sometimes when I think about Chardonnay from this region, I think about that intense minerality and that, mm-hmm. that balance. Is that something that you you know you get from it? And and how do you think about Chardonnay? And we can talk about some of the offerings. Yeah, totally. So yeah, Chardonnay, and that's the I think uh, what makes our Chardonnays, you know, a lot of people come uh, in our tasting room, it's like, oh, we don't want to taste Chardonnay, it's buttery. And I was like, no, you have to taste our Chardonnay and just this region Chardonnay. And the beauty of our Chardonnay is that acid and minerality that is in that we got from our soils and our wines. And that's what makes our Chardonnays uh, so delicious. Yeah, it's it's funny. When I first started getting into wine, there were a couple of varietals. Chardonnay was one, and then Zinfandel, I, I usually point to, is I said, I don't like those varietals because the Chardonnays I, I was trying were just over-oaked and um, just way too buttery and had this type of texture I, I wasn't into. And then on the yeah. other side, Zinfandel, and I know you don't make any Zinfandel, 
Um, yes. But you know, it's it's something where it's they were just very over alcoholic and have this real sweetness to it. But in a yeah. I don't know, in a kind of like in a bad way. Uh, but then I tried those both both uh, those same varietals in a different style of winemaking, as you talked about, and kind of more in the style yes. that you make. And then I just immediately, I was like, I love these varietals. Is that something you've Not heard totally. from people before or you've experienced? It- I did. I was like, yeah, but you have, to, I was like, yeah, you have to try our Chardonnay. It's really, it's not what you're expecting. And they, they, they get surprised. It's like, oh, I'm going to end up buying a bottle. So I always like, uh, love to see people's reactions and, you know, people has to see, it's like, yeah, there's so, the beauty is so many winemaking styles and so many different regions that we have ability to make all these different uh, styles of wine. Yeah, definitely. And then, and I'm seeing here on the website that you have some sparkling wines that were some from past vintages. Is that something you're going to be facing out or are you going to be keeping any of those as well? So, yeah, this is going to be my 2021 first time making sparklings. Wow. Okay. That's <laughs> something people can definitely look forward to then. Um, yes, totally. And then do you, do you have any idea of what type of varietal or, or style that's going to be? So we're going to make uh, from uh, Pinot Noir this year, and it's going to be traditional. Okay, great. Well, that's... And uh, uh, from the previous winemaker I took over, and the sparkling that you have on our website is a zero dosage. Okay, great. That, that gives people something to look forward to then, your first sparkling wine of uh, 2021. Totally. How can people interact with you guys? I signed up for the email list and saw that there's some charity uh, work that you guys are doing. Obviously, yes. there's the, the experiences. You have a, a beautiful website that shows some amazing photos that people will be able to experience uh, kind of see a snapshot of what you're going to experience when you go there. But how can people interact with you through all that and then also get access to the wine club and, and be able to purchase the wines? So, yeah, they can, as you mentioned, they can do it through, the, through our web- website, definitely. You can uh, just go on our website, see the wines that we have and uh, place an order. We are uh, shipping. And uh, also you can come and visit us. We have a our tasting room in Bilton, right next to Industrial Eats. It's a beautiful tasting room, and we offer tastings. And if you decide to love our wines, you can definitely purchase. Take them with you or ship. And also, we have a our ranch house, which is on our estate vineyard, uh, where we uh, do private tastings. And uh, if you go on our website, you can find a little bit more information how to schedule private tasting or just... Uh, give us a call on Alamarosa and talk one of our representatives to schedule you. Great. And lastly, I always wrap up with just a few fun questions. So first of, you know, (laughs) any uh, different wines you've been drinking lately or any types of food and wine pairings that you specifically like with, whether it's Pinot or Chardonnay or Rosé and things like that. I love uh, bubbles. I drink a lot of different bubbles and love, I think, uh, you know, it's been warmer lately. So, yes, bubbles and a beer. <laughs> That's perfect. So that kind of was, was my last question I always ask everyone is, what are you drinking when you're not drinking wine? So I guess the, the answer would be beer. Well, yeah, I'm trying not to, but, yeah, it will be beer, a good cold beer. 
And uh, that's what also we do during harvest. It's a joke, you know, if you want to make a good wine, you have to drink a lot of good beer. <laughs> I've, I've definitely heard that one yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple times. It always makes me laugh. It never gets old. Um, and so for people that are in the area or whether you're in Los Angeles or San Francisco or wherever you are and you're, you're going to do a road trip, there's there's a lot of, uh, of other obviously great wineries to visit. And as you mentioned, be able to go to the facility in Buellton or be able to interact with you guys. And I know Firestone is, um, well, Firestone Walker, closer to Paso Rubbles, but depending where yes. you are on your road trip, there's some definitely some interesting breweries to check out. So Samra, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate you coming on and we're, we'll all be looking forward to the 2021 first vintage with the bubbles. And then of course, uh, all the other varietals that you'll be making for the upcoming vintage as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ryan, for hosting me. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for joining us today. If you like the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can support the show by subscribing to our email newsletter for just five bucks a month. Find it on our website at goldenwestpodcast.com. In it, you'll find unique bottles from both popular and undiscovered winemaking talent, among other things. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter at goldenwestpod, or you can email us at goldenwestpodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and may or may not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or any other advice. Please eat and drink responsibly and thanks for listening.